Coming up, Amira Radovich, the CEO and founder of TheraV, a device that is helping countless amputees manage phantom pains after amputation. Amira is a biomedical engineer who has dedicated her life to the betterment of amputees and their families by providing a drug-free solution to a very serious problem. It is our pleasure to introduce Amira Radovich. Hey, Amira, it's so nice to have you on the show today. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm glad. I'm glad that you're able to uh, spend the time today. And I know you have a couple of little ones to worry about as well today. How old are your kids? Um, they're ages one and three years old. Oh my <laughs> so goodness. my hands are full. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that's that's a very hands-on kind of age. Yes, definitely. Yes, yeah. it is. I'm I've I've done all my raising of children, so I'm kind of out of that ball game. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a granddaughter. And it's it's wonderful to be able to engage the little one and then give her back to mommy when I'm done. <laughs> so, you know, I've done a lot of reading on Therapy and what you're doing with this amazing product. I want to speak a little bit to our audience today about some of the podcasts that we're going to be doing in the near future talking to people like yourself, uh, not necessarily amputees, but people that are serving this community in a very, very impactful way. And when I first heard about the product, and I believe it was someone in your organization that reached out to me, I thought, man, oh man, is this something that we need to be talking about? Because the device that you created, the Theravi, is something that is basically a device that helps amputees deal with something we refer to as phantom pain and phantom sensation. And this is something I don't know an amputee that has absolutely no experience with phantom pain. Uh, I consider myself as an amputee being one of the lucky ones because it's something that I definitely deal with and it's all hella painful when it happens. Mm -hmm. However, it's not something I live with on a constant basis and I've never had to seek any kind of opioid type therapy to deal with it. So generally, I consider myself lucky because I do talk to amputees that say, boy, oh boy, I, you know, I'm dealing with this shit every day. I'm dealing with it oh, yeah. pretty much on a regular basis. And I, I've reached a point where I'm having to medicate in order to manage it. And that's sad to me that we don't have more therapies in place, hence Theravi, to deal with this very, very, what can be for certain amputees, a chronic problem. Now, with that being said, before we get into this amazing endeavor that your young, amazing mind, engineering mind has put together for us, I, I, I want to take a little time to talk about you. 
And when I meet people like yourself, engineers, you know, especially someone who's, you know, a biomedical engineer and the, the kind of background that you have in, um, you know, what I consider to be this young, kind of vibrant, innovative mind, I, I want to know a little bit more about you, what, what you're about, where you came from, what brought you to this space. That's really important to me. And I'm a naturally curious kind of person. I think that's what brought me to wanting to do a podcast that has a niche with the amputee community. So tell me a little bit about you as a kid and what do you think led, I guess, to you becoming the engineer that you are today? Tell me about that. So it's actually a very interesting, I guess, interesting to me <laughs> and some people um, story. So um, as a as a young kid, I, as long as I can remember, I knew I always wanted to be an engineer. So my dad is a civil engineer and me being the daddy's girl just wanted to be like my dad. And where did like, you, oh, where did you grow up? So I actually am originally from Nigeria. Oh, no kidding. And I came here when I was really, really young. Um, and then I lived in Virginia most of my life till I came to Delaware to go to the University of Delaware. Oh, wow. So for yeah, most of my life was in Virginia and then came to UD and I've been in Delaware since. Um, and so I, I, as I said, I knew I wanted to be an engineer, but I didn't know exactly what type of engineer I wanted to be. And I know that I, I knew that I loved movies like Robocop sci-fi movies um, Power Rangers, Inspector Gadget, just, just really cool movies where you see the fusion of humans and robots, right? Sure. Um, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to build basically the future Robocops of the world. And when I was in high school applying for college, I initially was going to apply to mechanical engineering. And I learned about biomedical engineering by chance. And this is because my dad wanted me to be a doctor and I was really good in biology. Like I took AP courses. I did really well. I was good in math. You know, I took calculus courses and I knew my dad wanted me, me wanted me to be a doctor, but I just didn't like the idea of working with body fluids. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to work with blood. I just don't want to do that. Right. And so I basically just searched online, like what fuses engineering, medicine and math, basically in biology together. Mm -hmm. And that brought me to biomedical engineering. And as I learned a little bit more about this space, I saw that there's a field, there's a prosthetic field that biomedical engineers can go into. And for me, it was just that moment of, aha, I yeah. have found the way to build the future Robocops of the world. And that's really what started the journey with me pursuing a biomedical engineering degree um, that led me down this, this path. I always think about family values when I meet people like yourself. So there's this, there's this desire to serve, this desire to help. And you saw uh, maybe a deficiency in that community. I see the, the amputee community as generally underserved, lacking resources. And I think that's, again, one of the reasons why I feel you know, my, my personal need to get these types of stories out there is to create awareness about this community. 
So in terms of your family values and what you feel like you come from as a person, do you think any of those components are what led you to, you know, pursuing a career, pursuing a life that essentially is to help people? Yes, definitely. Um, I think every aspect of my life, especially in the way my my parents brought me and my brothers up, um, we're all about serving others. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents usually go out of their way to make sure that they're helping other people. And we got to see that in person. Um, and we got to participate in that as well. Um, and so for me, especially coming from uh, coming as an immigrant to this country and also witnessing firsthand the challenges that immigrants go through, um, and how you have to basically really fight tooth and limb to try and make it in this country. Um, so trying to figure out, I think that all that kind of plays a role in me trying to make sure that I'm also serving others and helping others get through whatever challenges they're going through. Um, and I've always been a very empathetical person. Um, emotional intelligence for me has been high. I, I took a test on it when I was in high school. It's mm. Um, for I think it was like a gifted program, um, and like emotional intelligence, one of the high scores I guess that I that I had, and it just really kind of validated that um, what I wanted to do was definitely to help other people, especially in the sp in the field of engineering. It just kind of tied into that, and I think that's one of the things that that pushed me towards sticking with engineering and making sure that I got that degree in hand and I pursued this career is that I just wanted to help people by building things to help people's lives be and, better. And did you did you excel as a student? Um, I was a B student, an average B student. Um, okay. I wasn't like a A student. I was also a student athlete at that time. So I, I try to say, you know, I was going to state meets and regional meets and NCAA competitions. And I also had an engineering exam that I had to take early. Like, you know, I had a little time to study, barely any time to sleep. But, you and know, you were, this you were was in track. Yeah, I ran track and field for okay. the University of Delaware's women's team. Okay, so you you were athletic as well. So you're yes. you're pursuing a degree, and you're also trying to manage um, all of your sports schedule, which can be tricky uh, yeah. to do. So you're coming from that position of not only are you a physical person because you're involved in sports, but you also have a scientific mind. So I would think, you know, the field of engineering in general, especially bio, you know, engineering would be just almost like the ultimate fit for someone like yourself, because it sort of carried, you know, the things that you were interested in. And I, w I would think that would be something that was just kind of came naturally for you, no? I think the the idea of just wanting to build things and be innovative, right, or improve on things that currently exist, that came natural to me, mm -hmm. right? But you know, the 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 what was a challenge for me was trying to conform <laughs> to the institution of academia. That itself can be very very challenging. Um, especially when you're a student athlete just trying to juggle all that, right? Being a jock and being a a nerd, I guess, in a way, or a brainiac, whatever uh, you want to use to describe that, um, basically trying to make sure you, you juggle that. And I went to, I went to the University of Delaware on a, on a full scholarship. So I had to perform well to keep my scholarship and to be able to graduate. And I figured, you know, if they're going to pay for my school while I'm doing track, and I had a partial academic scholarship as well, 
might as well do a major that one I'm interested in is challenging enough and would get me to the goal I'm trying to reach. Now, it would appear to me that there's this component in your life that's very entrepreneurial as well. Where do you think that comes from? Because very often, at least in my life experience, some of the brightest minds in engineering or even in medicine, they're not necessarily the most entrepreneurial people. I mean, they're very specialized in their knowledge and they're super bright and just can break things down in a way. And they're fantastic in terms of critical thinking. But when you tell them, hey, and we're going to take this to market, let's call it, they're, they just get lost because it's just not something that they feel is a component of their skill set. Very often when I talk to someone who's in a technical field, they'll say, I don't want to be in sales. I don't want to have anything to do with selling stuff. I just want to be in my little kind of like in my little space and, and do my tinkering and, and be appreciated for my mind and my ability to create things, but I don't want to sell anything. I, I want to have other people to do that. And to, to take a product like the TheraVe to that level you you kind of have to put yourself in that you know in that groove of hey man we got to we we have to persuade people to understand why this is important and it doesn't cheapen the endeavor it's just getting the information out there to the right people i come from sales and marketing so i understand that when you are coming from a position of advocacy you're not selling anymore you're essentially just trying to help people. And when your audience, your customer, your end user realizes that you are helping them, then that becomes a much more worthwhile endeavor. Uh, you're not a used car salesman anymore. You're essentially just trying to help people. Where, where, where do you think the entrepreneurial piece came from for you? So that's a very interesting question that you asked because I never had the goal of being an entrepreneur. So the, the way I grew up and the way I was brought up and I guess growing up in Nigeria, I came here when I was nine. So I was still pretty young yeah. um, and I'm 30 this year. Um, and one thing that we, there's a mindset of you go to school, you go to university, you graduate, you become a civil servant, right? And then once you're a retirement age, like my parents' age, right? Um, like 65, 70, whatever it is, then you start your own business, oh, <laughs> right? Really? Then you go that entrepreneurial path. Okay. So I always had that mentality that that was what my trajectory was going to be as well. Um, so for me, entrepreneurship really came like out of nowhere. It, mm. it just kind of smacked me in the face and I had no choice but to take it because the path was just very open for me. So as I mentioned, when I was a biomedical engineering student, um, I participated in a course called Clinical Immersion at the University of Delaware through the Biomedical Engineering Department. And with that course, I got to work at a prosthetic clinic, the first path of trying to understand what that field was about. And I just thought it would be building really cool prosthetics, prosthesis, like what I see on Google when you search 
prosthetic or prosthetic field or amputees. You see the Blade Runners, the Paralympic athlete. It's pretty glamorous, like, isn't it? Yes, I was like, it's beautiful. I was like, this is what I want to do, right? And yeah, it's when a, I got it's a huge work, misconception about being an amputee, <laughs> by the way. Anyway, go when ahead. Got, yeah, when I got to work at the clinic, I was just really, I was really surprised. It was just everyday people just mm -hmm. trying to get back to their lives. Yep. People trying to learn how to tie their shoes back. People just wanting to learn how to walk again. It was, for me, I was just, I, I mean, yes, I got to see the cool gadgets that were being built and the cool prosthetics that were being built. But what really touched me was the social aspect of it. You know, the pain, the non-glamorous aspect of being an amputee um, in the prosthetic world. And that was pain management. Um, I had people, customers, patients that came to the clinic complaining about their limb hurting or their leg hurting, their hand hurting. But I was looking at them and thinking, your leg and arm, they're not there. Why is it hurting? Only for me to learn about what this thing called phantom limb pain. And for me, that was just like, like what? How come I didn't know about this? I've been researching this field since I was a student and I didn't, I never ran into the word phantom limb pain. Why was that? And so I started this whole customer discovery process of interviewing amputees, learning about this problem, how big of a problem it was, what they were doing to solve the problem. Was it helping? Was it not helping? This was all part of the course. And like the whole customer discovery process, that's really what started my entrepreneurship path. It wasn't something I planned. I started the course to build really cool gadgets, learn about the field. I ended up learning about a bigger problem. And from there, I started researching solutions. And my goal was not to start a company. It was not to build a product. It was to find what people were currently doing that was working and tell the patients that I met, hey, this person has tried this and it's worked for them. Maybe you should try it, right? I, I, I was still an undergrad student, so I wasn't, I didn't think I was capable enough of building a product anyway, so it didn't cross my mind. Um, but after learning about the alternatives that were out there, prescription medications being the number one method to treat this pain, I was I just kept thinking like there has to be a better solution. There has to be a drug-free alternatives that can help people better manage your pain. And what kept being brought to my attention was basically tapping your limb, massaging your limb, rubbing your limb. And I had a good number of people tell me that, yeah, I would just massage it. I would roll a towel, hit my limb till the pain goes away. Yeah. And the thing about the pain is that it can last from seconds to minutes to hours to days. It differs from person to person and limb to limb. Yeah. And for me, it was just that isn't efficient enough. There has to be a better way to make it better for the individuals because you can't wake up in the middle of the night and start rubbing and tapping your limb till the pain goes away. You've disrupted your sleep. Right. And so from that, I got introduced to the entrepreneurship program at the University of Delaware. This is where the entrepreneurship piece comes in. So I came up with the idea of using vibration therapy because of the feedback I got in regards to massage. And I ran into a vibrating platform as well when I was practicing <laughs> for my athletics, for sports. Yeah. So it sounds like you were exposed to phantom pain, you know, pretty early on in your your engagement with amputees. So I want to talk a little bit more about phantom pain. I think you mentioned that you were noticing there's many forms, comes in different, let's call it different flavors, so to speak. For myself, I feel like I experienced the full spectrum. And what I mean by that, there may be days where I'm just kind of having this naggy, 
kind of thing that's going on with my big toe in my foot that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it could be as mild as an itch. Um, it can be almost like a little teeny tiny sporadic electrical shock that occurs. Or it can ramp up to something much more painful, let's say a stabbing kind of sensation. Now, there have been nights, thankfully, not very often, but it does occur, let's say once or twice a month, where, yeah, I'm, I'm kept up all night by phantom pain, meaning I cannot fall asleep and stay asleep. I might be able to doze off, but I'm quickly awoken by this need to either grab my limb, touch my limb, scratch my limb, do something to distract the signals that are being sent to my brain saying, hey, something's wrong down here. You need to attend to this. So this is a real thing. It has a bit of a, I would say, a mysterious kind of, you know, narrative in the amputee world, especially to the general public, because it's a question that I'm asked. Someone will say, do you have those, uh, what are they called, uh, ghost pains, or do you like, like, it's weird, like you still think your limb's there, and um, you're haunted by your limb, and I I'm like, all right, we, we need to demystify <laughs> What's going on here? And I'm glad that something like the therapy is out there to manage that, you know, that vibration therapy. Because when you become an amputee, the first thing that is explained to you is the desensitization of your limb is a process. And I've had practitioners that would say to me, okay here's a series of exercises that we want you to do because when you're post-op, your brand new baby bird amputee, that limb is crazy hypersensitive. It's very painful. You're swollen. You're not wanting to even be touched in that area. And I think that's the block for a lot of new amputees is I've got this swollen, angry, inflamed limb, how the hell am I going to put this thing in a prosthesis? Like, how am I going to walk around on this limb that I can't even touch, let alone jam into a vice-like device that I'm going to walk around in? So it almost seems impossible. So we traverse that. We desensitize the limb, we do the exercises, we do the massaging, and slowly but surely, our limb reduces in size, it begins to mature, and now we're walking around in a prosthesis. But then this other thing happens, and that's where you come in. Suddenly you go, wow, I'm functioning, I'm moving around, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But then I take my leg off, I get into bed at night, and my limb comes to life with all of these strange sensations and pains and all of these things that are happening that just don't make any sense to me. And it's very random for a lot of people, especially myself. 
it's not a specific sort of cycle. So the thing I would want to ask, first of all, with your device that is available on the market, we're going to talk about how to get your hands on it um, before the end of the podcast here. But what was the first version of the TheraVe? What, what was that? Because, of course, I've, I've been on your site and, you know, it's a, it's a very slick looking device, but... I, I want to know a little bit more about how that evolved and what that experience was like for you in terms of, you know, the the creative aspect of what you did and how it became what it is today. So uh, can you explain for the audience what that experience was like in terms of prototype to trials to final version? Definitely. I would, I would love to. Cool. Um, this, this goes back to... Um, the entrepreneurship program I was speaking about um, that basically when I pitched the idea of using vibration therapy to help with pain management, it was during a pitch competition called the First Step Grant Challenge hmm. through the University of Delaware. And they were giving free money, right? They said, if you get to the prelims, you get $500. If you get to the finals and you're the top three, first place gets $2,500, second place gets, I believe, $1,000, and third place gets $500. In my mind, it was just like free money, right? I initially had the idea in 2014 and then presented it at a symposium. And then that was it. I was like, hopefully somebody would take it and build it because I didn't feel that I had the um, the resources or the experience to build a physical product and take it to market. So again, I was not trying to build a product or develop a company or start a company. It well, just how would kinda... you how would you know things about sourcing and supply chain management and I was an undergrad student. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally get it because very often younger people will say, I don't even know how to start. You know, I can come up with a great idea, see a need, serve that need. That's usually how products are born, but then it's getting in the weeds and going, okay, how do we build this freaking thing, you know? Exactly. So take me exactly. there. And so that's where I was. And so for, fast forward a year later, University of Delaware is having this pitch competition. And I was like, okay, free money. I have this idea. It doesn't hurt to apply and see what they say. I applied. Surprise, surprise. I get to the prelims. That's $500. So I used that $500 to build my prototype. I was like, okay, I need to find the simplest way that I can physically show people what my idea is with using vibration therapy. And I decided to basically take a sock, put a pocket in the sock, mm -hmm. um, and then get like a counterweight motor from Amazon, connected it to a nine volt battery and put it in the pocket of the sock, um, put some padding inside the sock. Cause I felt the vibration was a little too intense. Do you still have and this prototype? Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. I don't have it with me here, but yes, I do. I still have it. That's awesome. All my <laughs> and I, I went with the sock idea because I noticed a lot of every MPT was wearing like some kind of sock liner shrinker. So my mind was like, yes, another sock, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and so I presented that and and I didn't even like challenge it. I feel like a sock would be easier for people to put their fist in it. So it's the size where you just put your fist in it. Um, and so I took it to the pitch competition and I presented it at that time. Also two other, um, 
teams I was on were also participating in that pitch competition. So it was like I was going from one poster to another poster to another poster. So it was just like there's just so many things, moving parts going around. Um, and so I presented and everybody that came through tried the sock. They're like, oh, oh, this is so cool. And I'm just thinking, oh, it's just a vibrating sock. Like it's not a big deal. Right. But I'm happy people got to see what I was trying to do. And to my surprise, and I believe to the surprise of everybody there, we got third place. And getting third place was just a validation that this is, I might have something that I should pursue, like really dig into a little bit more. Then I got introduced to the entrepreneurship program at the University of Delaware. And through that program, I've gotten funding to do customer discovery. And basically they have this program called the Summer Founders Program. And they force you to start a company for your idea. But the goal of that program is to basically go all across the country to give you funding to travel across the country, wherever you can go, to speak to potential end users of this product or service you're trying to bring to market mm. and validate if this is indeed a problem that needs to be solved and if your solution can actually solve that problem. That's before you actually start putting thousands of dollars into building a physical product. Well, I would think that would be a huge affirmation when you started saying, you know, here's something that could relieve the limb loss community of what is a very chronic problem and not really addressed in what I think is a, a, a truly an effective way because, like you said before, what's the alternative? The alternative is opioids. And I know plenty of people who struggle with these types of medications. And I mean in terms of addiction. And it's not it's not a pretty it's not a it's it's not a walk in the park. Let's just put it that way. And to be able to develop something that is therapeutic and safe to use, it's 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 not doesn't have addictive qualities. Um, the only thing you could become addicted to is the fact that it takes that pain away and you don't want to have that pain anymore. And that's a good addiction to have. Um, <laughs> so were there struggles beyond that bringing it to the place that it's at now, which is, you know, it's a it's a fully formed product that is available that we can purchase today? Um how do you take it from that sort of prototype area? And I'll let you go because I know you're getting into some of that to where you are now. So, uh, yeah, so it, it really was a big challenge, but I am very grateful to the entrepreneurship program at the University of Delaware, the Horn Entrepreneurship. They really held my hand through this whole journey till today. They're still helping me and supporting me in any one way or another. Mm. Um, and if it wasn't for them, there would be no therapy. They, they, I mean, I was an engineer who was hoping to graduate, get a job, maybe go to grad school. That, that was it. That was my trajectory. And because of them, went a different route. Um, so I had this prototype, went through the entrepreneurship program, summer founders program, started speaking to people about their pain points, what they were doing, what wasn't working, what was working, why, why not? Um, then I came back to the same people and I said, hey, have you tried vibration? Like, no, I haven't thought about doing vibration, but I usually like, you know, tap my limb, et cetera. I use TENS units sometimes, but sometimes it makes my pain worse. 
Um, and then I was like, okay, this is a prototype that I built based on the feedback I got. What do you think? I, I, I would literally go to people's houses, <laughs> people that I met. I'd be like, I'm like, oh, come down to my house. I would go to their house, show them the prototype or go to different amputee support groups across the country, show them the prototype and it would get passed around. And the first prototype I built with the sock was again, very intense. The vibration was just very intense. Um, so I, I bought like different types of vibrating motors to try different things. So it to the support group, to the people I met and the feedback was either, okay, you need to reduce it. It's too intense. Or yeah, I can't feel that. That's definitely not going to help. Like my pain is very intense. This is just not going to solve the problem for me. Or I would give people to take it home and then I'll follow up with them. And just getting that feedback, I was able to develop the product to where it is today. As I said, I initially started with a sock. Mm. And the feedback I got from almost everyone I spoke to was like, great idea. I don't want to wear another sock. <laughs> I don't want to wear another sock. It gets hot in there. They're like, I don't want to wear another sock. And I was like, okay. Would like I had to go back, kind of brainstorm, brought it back to them. Like, oh, would you try this? Like a thinner sock. No, I don't want to wear another sock. I was like, okay. So I started buying like Velcro, attaching motors to like just a Velcro like um, uh, strip. Yeah. <laughs> Taking it to the support group, like, hey, this is what I brought next. And you're like, okay, it's not a sock. It can solve our problem. Now you have to get the vibration right, right? You have to make sure like the therapy we're getting is going to work for our pain. But then I learned that everybody's pain is different, right? So it's just basically just taking all that feedback, speaking to people face-to-face, video calls, some phone calls, learning what works for one person might not work for another person. But taking all that feedback, taking the prototype back to the people I interviewed, that really helped me get to where I am today. And as I mentioned, I, I can't stop talking about them enough, the Horn Entrepreneurship Program. I was introduced to our engineer, Chris Wells, who initially came on and helped me um, build my product. He believed in what we were doing. He's not an amputee, but he believed in what we were doing and he wanted to see me succeed. And so he helped us first build our product at a discounted rate than he would normally charge others. And eventually we ran up, like we don't have money. Every funding we got was either from pitch competitions, business competitions, or little small grants, like $1,000, $500 here and there that we won from pitch competitions or applying for. And so when we ran out of money, he was like, Amira, I really believe in what you're doing and I want to help you. So he gave me his time in helping me build this product. Um, and it's just meeting people like that really helped us get to where we are right now. So every time he would build a prototype, we would make some changes. I would go back to the support group, to the end users, physical therapist, get their feedback, go back and make changes. Mm. It was an iterative process continuously. Wow. And that's- I mean, that's, you know, when I think about what you've described in terms of that frontline kind of work, that diligence. It's a beautiful story when you consider all of the information that you've gathered pretty much on your own and having these interactions with people in our community, finding resources, essentially dedicating your life to the betterment of this community and trying to seek out really good, uh, you know, real-time reactions, um, getting outside sources, people seeing who you are and what you do and how your passion, you know, comes through that. Because I think anyone would look at someone like yourself and say, well, there, there must be an amputee in her life, 
you know, her partner must be an amputee or her, her, she must have a close relative that's an amputee. So I'm usually sort of bowled over by someone that dedicates their life to this community in the way that you are. And they don't even necessarily have a direct connection outside of their own personal sort of constitution and code of ethics that you would want to help in the way that you are. And, you know, the monetization is, is only really uh, a necessity in facilitating this good. You know, it's, you, you don't strike me as someone who's necessarily um, in this for the money. Um, that's certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a fringe benefit, let's call it. But at the same time, it seems like your focus is such in the right place, um, comes from the heart and you're, you're really trying to help people in our particular set of circumstances. Now that we've, we've piqued everyone's interest and we've got everyone on the edge of their seat as far as what is this thing that they're talking about, um, I'm hoping that you have something that you can show us today. Uh, let's take a look at the TheraVe and see what it looks like. So I'm excited <laughs> to share <laughs> current version. Yeah, maybe <laughs> Brian can uh, conjure up a drum roll or something. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so this is the current version of the, the Therapy Elix. So okay. we call it the Therapy Elix 2.0. So where it is, it's a wearable vibrating band that is wrapped around the residualum. As we mentioned, it applies targeted vibration therapy to stimulate the nerve endings of the signal, stimulating um, the nerve endings and letting the brain know that this is where the limb ends. You do not need to panic. Um, giving some form of feedback back to the brain to disrupt the pain signals from being relayed to the central nervous system, which again is the brain. So the right now, as I mentioned, it evolved from a sock to a band. And this device is worn when you take off your prosthesis. Majority of people, when we were doing our interview, mentioned that they tend to get their pain when they take their limb off, right? Like when I take off my leg, it's like the floodgates open. Yep. Right. Um, and so we designed it in a way that they would wear this after they've received, removed their prosthesis. So as I mentioned, it's a vibrating band. Let's kind of demo it a little bit. Right there. Is it a band that is wrapped around the limb? It has a control unit, which is this. So this is the brain of the operation. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, we, it is we can see rechargeable. It. Okay. Micro USB. Mm. Um, it has an on and off button. And these are what the the ports that connect to the vibrating capsules, the motor capsules. So this would go back in there. And I have one of the capsules here for you to see and the connectors that it connects with. Mm. So this was all building this on a budget, really trying hard to, to build this with the little funding that we were able to, to secure. How long does it um, take to charge? Um, it takes about two hours to fully charge. And then how and long can, can you wear it once it's fully charged? So it depends on what settings you have. So there's three settings. There's continuous vibration, pulsating vibration, and the slowly increasing, slowly decreasing. Hmm. And there's similar levels of intensity. And depending on how long you use it for, uh, how long you use it for depends on what 
you choose. But if you're using it continuously at the highest intensity, say a level seven, it will last for a little under two, two hours. Um, so like an hour 50 or so um, at the highest intensity, excuse me, at the highest intensity. Yeah, it's drawing more. Because it's doing the most work. Um, exactly. Um, at the lowest intensity, it can last for up to 10 hours of just oh, straight wow. continuous vibration. And we designed it that way because we had people who they were like, oh, I was using, I was sleeping, then it turned off. And then I woke up in the middle of the night because I was in pain. So we're like, okay, we're going to design it so it can run as long as it can. <laughs> well, that, that answers time. my next question, which was, do you, do you have amputees that are sleeping with it? Yes, I do. Actually, a lot of our customers sleep with the device on. Wow. We tell them not to, you know, liability reasons and all, but they still do it anyway because they're like, it benefits me when I have this pain. And when I can't sleep at night, I put it on and I'm surprised that I fell asleep and woke up the next morning and didn't know what happened. And we get that feedback a lot. It's like I was sleeping, I woke up, and the device was on the floor. I don't know what happened, but I was surprised I slept through the night. It, good feedback. I was like, perfect. That's that's great that it's doing something. It's funny. So, yeah. Funny you mentioned um, that uh, that signal that amputees get from their brain about the the, the panic of of a limb is missing. Um, it it reminded me. Shortly after my own amputation, I was sitting on the couch watching television, not even necessarily even thinking about my limb. And I looked down and I, I actually had um, a panic attack uh, okay. over the fact that um, my limb was gone. And it, it the only way I can describe it is that my body was telling my brain something's wrong something's wrong something's wrong it's missing it's missing and it was almost this this sensation that was radiating from my residual limb as if somehow my body was having this conversation with itself going what you know what happened like why why is this gone and i do recall a physical therapist saying that if I ever had those feelings, that gentle massage would be the way to remind your brain that you end right here. This yeah. is where you end. And the more I would do that, the more I was able to cope with, you know, my limb ending where it, where it ends now. Um, so even stepping outside of the the phantom pain kind of therapy i mean having a device like that in in terms of its therapeutic value for the emotional piece of yeah. this is something that should even be spoken about to say this might be something let's say you don't have phantom pain but when you wear it it can be a form of just a, a really wonderfully relaxing kind of therapy for your limb, especially if you've been in your prosthesis all day and you just want to chill, man, and watch a movie and just have your limb gently massaged. And that that can be a comfort, just like any other form of massage. Why do people spend the kind of money that they do to go and right to go and be massaged and pampered and all that stuff, you know. Here's a device that allows you to do that. 
Um, so when I look at you know what you're showing us there, this seems very compact, very lightweight, um, and it seems like the ease of use is um, very simple. Because you said it's just, you literally just turn it on and then it's just a matter of finding the setting that you like and the intensity level that you like, correct? Exactly. So we have a mobile app um, for both um, Apple products and Android products, wow. iOS and the Google Play Store. We have an app on there. That so you can control the whole thing from your phone. Yes, we designed it that way on purpose because we wanted to make it adaptable to as many people as we could. Um, because And it costs less to make the products when you're not adding like little buttons. You'll be surprised how much it costs to just add a button, another button to, to the but help me under, Help me understand the manufacturing piece because I come from some of this in my career. Um, yes, adding a button can totally be a cost factor that you you would never anticipate would be so expensive. Now, 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 let's say 10 years ago, I know developing an app for anything was a costly endeavor. Uh, has that improved at all? I mean, is it, is it still as expensive to develop a, a specific app for your product as it used to be? Because um, I know for a lot of businesses, they're like, oh, yeah, we, we're trying to find the money to develop an app, mm -hmm. you know, for our device. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I don't know what it used to cost in the past. All I know is that it's expensive to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because again, we're a startup and everything's bootstrapping. Wherever we can get money, we pour it right into building the product and then the money disappears. And then you have to like try and get more money. And again, that kind of that really slowed our process in getting our product out. Um, but I was very fortunate that I had another startup here in Delaware um, who allowed me to borrow their app developer to help me develop my app they were they were kind enough to let me do that again they believed in what i was doing they wanted to support a young female entrepreneur they're also young they're also entrepreneur female entrepreneurs themselves and my app developer was also a female um app developer so it was great to just kind of link that way but it's like people just believe in what i'm doing and that helped me really dramatically cut the cost to develop this app and i made sure it was as simple as possible i did not add bells, bells or whistles to the app is just turn it on, find the device, increase the level, decrease the level, change the pattern as simple as possible. And just collect information on what the pain level was of the individual when they turned on the device, mm -hmm. what it was after they turned off the device, what the environmental factor was. And that was just something they can just kind of plug into, I guess, the code. Yep. Um, just collect data on how often is an individual using the device. And this is de-identified data, so we don't know who it's coming from. Um, and the idea is to see, is there a pattern for each individual's phantom pain, right? Um, but I can talk a little bit more about that later. But with developing the app, I was just very fortunate to connect with with this person um, to help me develop the app to where it is today. And why don't you go ahead and, and give out the uh, the website address where we can go and, and, and purchase this amazing piece of technology? Um, so the website is therapy.me. That's T-H-E-R-A-V dot M-E. It's also our LinkedIn, uh, our <laughs> Instagram, Instagram handle. Okay. And um, the, the place I go to in my business mind is um, have you, and if not, are you planning on 
sort of making this a connection point for practitioners where they can actually prescribe this device um, because very often, um, you know, amputees are in a strugglesome situation financially and having something that can be covered by insurance, let's call it, mm -hmm. um, is at a huge, you know, huge benefit. Uh, amputees are dealing with incredibly expensive assistive devices, expensive prosthesis and prosthetics, and very often insurance does, does not even cover supplies. So things like gel liners, stump socks, all of that stuff, usually most amputees are staring down the barrel of how on earth am I going to afford all this stuff? And you know the old adage of something's got to give. Usually they end up uh, not taking as good a care of themselves as they could because they just don't have the resources. So what what have you done or planning on doing um, to make that a possibility for amputees out there? Yeah, so that's a good point that you made. Uh, so I, I mentioned my customer discovery process. That was something that came up very often. Insurance, like I had people that were bilateral amputees. They're like, yeah, insurance only covers one foot. Like there's just issues with insurance providers. Um, and I made sure to design around that to make it as affordable as possible, um, especially with the version of the device that we have right now. As I said, I tried not to add any bells or whistles that would just increase the cost of the device. The idea was to make it as simple as possible that it addresses the issue. But our goal is to, like the, the data I mentioned we're collecting, it's more like a diary in a sense. And the goal is to add to that where we can provide more, we can provide data to um, physicians as well as amputees on the patterns of their phantom limb pain in the hope that this will help improve amputation care. Like that's the goal of therapy. Our goal is to innovate um, and improve amputation care and rehabilitation. That's what our goal is. And the therapy at least is just the first step to getting there. Yeah. Um, but right now we're just working on it slowly. <laughs> yeah. As the funding comes in, we add to the app and add to further improving the device. Um, but that that definitely is our our goal. Any plans on like doing like a shark tank or anything like that? I've gotten that suggestions a few times. I they were actually in Philadelphia a few years back. And I was like, oh, I should go, but then life life happens. Yeah, I know. Um, but maybe I will. Maybe I will in the future. Well, we'll there see. was uh there was an amputee that was a clothing designer. Yes, Erica, I know her. Yes. You know her? Yeah. <laughs> she, yes, I think I her, her some of her uh uh journey included uh Shark Tank and um some financial support from that, you know, that particular show and um, I don't know. I think that 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 could be something. I think there's something there. Uh, I I believe that there's a uh, very much a fascination with amputees and the amputee community. I think as amputees, Paralympians become more part of the culture, and especially when you see amputees in marketing campaigns now, uh, you'll see amputees in fashion. Um, there's all kinds of different, uh, sort of channels where, where you'll, you'll pick up, you know, different narratives about amputees and, uh, it, 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 it tends to be something I think our culture is at least in terms of trending, it seems like they're embracing it. Yeah. So 
this is good timing for devices like the one that you've invented and have brought to market. And I think there'd be a lot of people, um, even if you weren't necessarily able to find funding on the show, I, I, I personally believe that that type of exposure, putting mm -hmm. yourself in that um, space and that many people seeing what you're doing and your story is very compelling in terms of, you know, being, you know, from Nigeria and coming to this country and finding your way uh, through, you know, grants and scholarships and all of the things that you've done, your, your, your life journey, even at 30 years old, is more interesting and, and uh, more engaging than most people have in their entire lifetime. So I think one of the things that very much attracted me to you and wanting to interview you was kind of getting that feeling of, you know, this, this is, there's a really interesting story here about Amira. It's, it's certainly about her device and what she's done um, in my community, but it has a lot more to do with the person and where all of this started and how it evolved over time. So I want to thank you for being here today. Um, I really appreciate what you're trying to do for this community. It, it means an awful lot that you're you're placing your grain of sand in the right place, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, you know, is there anything else that you want to say to amputees out there that are considering using your device? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would love for everyone, every amputee across the globe to try the device, um, especially in the U.S. and in Canada. That's where we're shipping the device now. Yep. Um, you really have nothing to lose. It's a 30 days back money guarantee if the device is not a good fit for you. Good to know. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. Yep. And if the device is not working for you, it gives us feedback on how we can better improve on a device in the hopes of developing a device that will work for you. So for us, it's a win-win situation either way, right? Um, and you never know, it might work for you. I believe it will work for a majority of people that use the device about 80 8% of our beta testers of the previous therapy benefited from using the device. Um, but you have nothing to lose. It's low risk or no risk, I would like to say, right? It's non-invasive, drug-free. Again, there's, there's nothing to lose. Just give it a shot. And it will also help us better improve on our product on our service as well. That's so I wonderful. encourage everyone. That's wonderful. That is Amira Radovich. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. That's going to wrap it up for us. And uh, I want to wish everyone health and happiness, and we will see you next time. Thank you.